Listener, thank you for pressing play on the latest edition of the Michigan Soccer Central Podcast. How's it going? My name's Robert Kerr here with you for another episode of the show. Big weekend of soccer in the history books. Uh, high school soccer is into the business end. Uh, Detroit City FC uh, had their penultimate home game of the season. We're going to have a lot of coverage of Detroit on this week's episode. Before we get to that, I want to make a shout out to Amalia Villarreal for making the U-17 Women's World Cup team for Team USA. She is going to be going to the World Cup, a Lansing native and a heck of a player. So congratulations to Amalia. Also, big congratulations to Detroit's own Dylan Borzak, the former Oakland County FC, Flint Bucks, Oakland University, Schoolcraft College, uh, first year pro player, uh, got a transfer from Rio Grande Valley, uh, where he had a hot start to his rookie year and his playing time kind of tapered off. And then just today we see a post that he's been transferred to one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference, Memphis 901, who sit in second place and is competing for the top spot in the Eastern Conference of the USL Championship, a potential playoff clash between uh, the hometown kid and uh, the hometown team potentially in the playoffs here to come. Another note, uh, Michigan Stars had a home game. They uh, got a 2-0 win on Sunday against the Maryland Bobcats. But in our feature interviews this week, I've got some post-game reaction. Actually, some really good stuff. Yazid Matthews, a goal scorer in uh, Detroit City FC's 2-2 draw. I've got uh, Yazid as well as Coach Trevor James. Some interesting reactions after uh, an action-packed second half, but probably ultimately disappointing to leave some points out there as DCFC is battling for a top four spot and a home field playoff game. In addition to those post-game interviews, I've got Nolan Bianchi, the Detroit news sports writer, who's been following, amongst other uh, Detroit teams, he's been following DCFC in great detail this year. He's had some really great uh, feature articles as well as Really doing this uh, debut season in the championship for DCSC. Some really doing it justice, uh, covering just about every single game of the season. Really uh, mainstream beat writer for uh, soccer here uh, this year. So a really good conversation with Nolan and post-game reactions from Yazid Matthews and Coach Trevor James here on the Michigan Soccer Central Podcast. Z Matthews on the score sheet in a wild 2-2 draw here uh, in front of the home uh, fans. Um, uh, touch on the, the, the halftime you went in at nil-nil. Um, what was that message and what, what was it compared to the full-time message? Nil-nil halftime and it ends 2-2. Uh, what was the, the, the feeling in the camp comp halftime compared to the full-time? I think um, at halftime there wasn't really a negative message from coach, you know. Uh, everyone was calm. Obviously, we created a lot of opportunities. 
so we looked at that. So that was a positive thing. We just knew that second half we had to, you know, take our chances and finish it. Um, at the end of the game, I would say, obviously, another positive thing is we managed to tie it up. We're down 2-1. We fought our way back in. We're chasing it towards the end. We didn't have enough time, but it's going to happen. So how does that feel? You were with the team for so long, and now you're, you're, you're out here contributing on the field, scoring for the team that you've been, you've been waiting for so long for. Like, uh, is there a way you can articulate that feeling of, of, of getting a goal in a situation like this, contributing in big games leading into the playoffs here? Uh, that's all I want to do. I just want to contribute uh, to the game. Whatever coach wants me to do, I'll do it, whether it's running miles a game and I just want to be on the field, so whatever it takes. Obviously, setting out for all those months, it sucked, but that's in the past now, so we move forward. Uh, what kept you optimistic and positive during those times when it was, the, the process was dragging on before you could join them? Uh, just practicing every day, uh, showing up. Just I kept working harder, practice every day. Uh, I was fortunate that you know Trevor gave me another opportunity to come back. So yeah, everything worked out. So was far. it was it moments like the celebration here that that got you through those trainings that you didn't necessarily knew you weren't going to be in the yeah in the I game? mean uh, it's tough every day you know working hard knowing that you're not playing on the weekend. Uh, also just sitting and watching. Uh, I just must it a lot, man. I'm just happy to be back on the field. That's awesome. And there's still nine points up for grabs. Uh, do you still think that uh, you guys can get that top four spot and have a home game here in the playoffs? Yeah, we'll always, that will always be our mindset. Any points that's up for grabs, we, we want everything. We don't want no ties, no losses, so we're going for everything. You're going to get that top four spot? Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> we'll thank try you. our best. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. Coach James, uh, thank you for the time. Uh, tonight, 2-2, uh, nil-nil at halftime, and a 2-2 at full time. Uh, both team talks, I'm sure, drawn, but what's the, the team talk at halftime drawn and at the end there? Well, yeah, the halftime team talk was very positive as far as that we had a very good first 45 minutes. So so we were all uh, fairly happy with the way the game was going and frustrated we hadn't scored. and. Uh, you know, and one or two people weren't happy with the the offside calls, but uh, but I'm a long way from that, so I couldn't judge. So uh, so yeah, so we were pretty happy with the way the the first half had gone, and um, uh, so it was as I said, just a matter of let's, let's continue to do what we're doing, and uh, and the breakthrough will come. Um, uh, end of the game, uh, team talk was a little bit different. Obviously, there's a lot of un unhappy people in the locker room, but. Uh, but I think a lot of it is is just a little bit of surprise that we conceded two goals. And I think, you know, against good players, you you can't fall asleep, as we've just told them there. Uh, they will punish it. They can punish it. And we got punished tonight. So um, so it was a little bit uh, it was a little bit down now because they feel they should have won the game. You know, I'd agree we should have won the game, but we didn't. Um, but in the last, you know, four games, we've had um, two wins and two ties. And, we beat Colorado and, and Tampa, and then tied with New York and Tulsa. So, you know, um, how much do I know about this game? I can't work it out. Uh, you, you, great uh, segue. I was going to ask about in your experience, having seen like a million or hundreds of games play out, and there's patterns and 
that come about and results and how games play out. How rare is it that after conceding two like that and losing your lead, to then get a, a follow-up to then draw it after just losing lead? Yeah, it's pretty rare. I think, you know, I, I, I don't know the stats on it, but, but uh, I, um, I would say it's pretty rare that teams come back again after they've been in front and gone behind and then and that. So it, it's great, a great judge of character and, uh, and you know, again, helps us towards the playoff game because it's something that we may need in the playoff game. There's that feeling that might happen in the playoff game. Hopefully we don't go behind in the playoff game. But um, uh, so, yeah, so that's another thing that helps us prepare for the, for the big games. Um, but I would say it's pretty rare. But I was really, really pleased and impressed for the boys not only to go on and get the goal, but then obviously to push and keep pushing for the winner, which, uh, which didn't come tonight. Um, plenty of chances, lots of goals in the second half. Uh, we spoke uh, just a moment ago about uh, Michael Bryan. Obviously, he got the uh, equalizing goal and commented on how he's better than most in all the variety of players he's had. So again, leaning on your experience, um, are there many other players that you've uh, had in your teams that that are that adept at so many different positions? Um, I wouldn't say there's. I wouldn't say there's many. There have been there's been some uh, some along the way who have just been so good, such a good soccer player. I think that's what I said with Michael. Such a good soccer player that he can play well in other positions. Uh, and a lot of that is is a natural soccer player. And, uh, you know, there's been a few, but not uh, not a great deal. You can you know you get one who can play in one or two positions, but he seems to be able to play in three or four. Uh, one home game left, uh, nine points available. I think it's four or five points behind the, the, the fourth place spot. Do you still think it's uh, possible to, to get that fourth place? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's tough now. You know, the, these two games are uh, four points that we, we could have really done with. And it's tough, but obviously, you know, like uh, you expect me to say, that, the, you know, while there's, there's nine points, uh, at stake and we can do it mathematically we will be trying to do that so we'll go into the next game trying to get three and then we'll see where we are after that and, and, and try to repeat it. thank you coach thank you interview of the Michigan Soccer Central podcast. I'm very excited to welcome Nolan Bianchi, staff writer for Detroit News and has had work featured in a variety of outlets. Um, he's had some very impressive and comprehensive coverage of Detroit City FC this year. I'm very welcome, uh, thankful to welcome him onto the show, Mr. Nolan Bianchi. Thank you for uh, spending some time with Michigan Soccer Central podcast, sir. Yeah, thank you for having me, Robert. Obviously, uh, you and I have been running into each other all season there at the uh, the post post match uh, interviews. So glad to finally hop on with you. I apologize to your your viewers. I don't know if this is a, a video show or just a, a television show. I'm assuming that the nice setup that you got there indicates that it's a video show. But I'm moving some stuff around, so I am uh, limited to a corner uh, of a room here. So apologies for the lack of uh, you know cool decorations, if you will. 
Oh, no worries. And uh, thank you for your compliment. Uh, I've I've made the, the, the cupboard under the stairs uh, what it is you see here. But uh, kind of in general, um, I've wanted to have you on throughout the season because you have been such a, a dedicated uh, journalist following the team. And you've been there uh, more than I have. And I've gone to as many possible as I can. So I wanted to get your viewpoint as well as um, seeing Detroit City FC in um, a mainstream outlet is kind of what drew me to bring you on in general to get your perspective and how, kind of how you got to the uh, Detroit news to have Detroit City FC included like on a kind of a beat writer sort of a basis. Like, so I guess that's I'm going to start off with like, how did you get to this point to where um, you as a sports writer are filling space on a mainstream outlets like on a consistent basis? Yeah, so I think uh, before I like get into anything that happened this year, like all the credit in the world goes to Larry O'Connor, uh, who used to be with the Detroit News for a very long time, and he was really kind of our uh, lower level soccer uh, beat writer here in the uh, the Southeast Michigan. So he, for a long, long time, was you know covering uh, Detroit City FC, covering the Michigan Bucks, covering kind of all these little. Uh, or I don't want to say a little bit, but lower division teams, second and third division teams uh, here in Southeast Michigan. And then um, it was all kind of a, a little bit serendipitous, I would say, because earlier this this year, um, our media reached out to me. I'd been working with them on some stuff and they pitched me the idea of perhaps uh, doing a, a feature on Detroit City FC, uh, Detroit's football team that wins games. And so it went right uh right next to a column from Jerry Green and the Lions, and then uh, another piece from myself on the USFL and, and the Michigan Panthers and, and things like that. So that kind of opened the door for me to go into Detroit City FC Fieldhouse uh, or Detroit City Fieldhouse um, and kind of start to get to, to know everybody. And it just so happened that uh, a lot of times last year I was working on the Detroit News production desk and um, – getting tasked with, with writing these DCFC gamers. So I had, uh, I had started to, to kind of reach out to Alex, um, right with, with Detroit city FC, just, um, you know, talking about the, the team and stuff like that. And then, you know, once this, our story kind of came to me and I started to, to really cover the team, I, I kind of pitched to, um, the Detroit news who, who had a hole in their coverage from the, from the absence of Larry O'Connor who left, uh, I believe a little bit about a year ago, um, and they were like, yeah, go for it, you know, go crazy. If it's something that you're interested in, we could really use, uh, that coverage. And, and they've been very, very supportive, um, as well, but it all starts with, you know, the higher ups there. And then, uh, Larry O'Connor as well, kind of laying the groundwork as the Detroit news being a place where you can get soccer content and news locally in a mainstream way. Thank you for that uh, explanation and uh, kudos to uh, your predecessor. Um, yeah, I should have mentioned that at the top, you were the author of the the now infamous uh, Our <laughs> cover story in April, which uh, yeah. I guess infamous just because of uh, a particular scarf in the crowd shot that they used for the cover picture uh, really made the rounds for a bit of a comical edit. Yeah, that was really funny. Like I, cause I didn't, uh, they didn't show me the cover. Um, at least I don't think before, uh, they like released it on social media. And then obviously the second that they released it, the, uh, the sleuths over with NGS were, were, you know, going through with a fine, uh, tooth comb and, and obviously saw that somebody had airbrushed a, uh, 
a scarf. But like the, the funny thing is like the story behind that is um, apparently the, the, the managing editor, whoever assigned it, you know, was kind of on vacation for the week. And then after they had already chosen this picture, they realized, Oh, it says the F word and it's right in the middle of our, uh, of our cover cover here. So they thought that nobody would notice um, if they, uh, you know, airbrushed over it, but then because of, vacations and things like that i don't think it went through all the proper channels to for that to get approved and so we ended up in a situation uh like we had when it goes live and um you know everybody's just freaking out tagging me things like that and i don't even know if like people realize that i was the one who wrote that um because i wrote it like probably two months before it ended up even coming out but um yeah just a hilarious day like i was mortified for the first like 30 minutes and then I kind of saw how much fun everybody was having with it. And it ended up being, I think, kind of a, a better thing in the long run. It was kind of a, a useful marketing tool for uh, for getting that issue out there. So that was in the springtime. And that was uh, when the USL Championship uh, was kind of a, a new thing to uh, the area. Obviously, the team's new to it, but it was just, you know, Detroit hadn't had a team at that level before. So it was very fresh and new. And then to add to that, uh, in the springtime, uh, DCFC had that impressive uh, Open Cup run in which we saw MLS Team Columbus Crew come to town and they got the win. And then they got another uh, home game against Louisville. And we saw, I mean, or I saw the likes of you were there, but there was also local news stations. And then just, uh, uh, just beyond the just like morning news shows and people were, you know, setting up there and doing a lot of on-location shots and you know, my original idea was like, wow, you know, Detroit City FC has gone like local mainstream. Um, what have, and we were commenting when we saw each other at the game on Saturday, and it was me, you, and the the club media guys, and kind of dawned on me, that's kind of how it's been for a while here in the summer. Um, can you speak on like the trends throughout the season on that media perspective, and then we can kind of lean into the team itself, like how it's been over time? Yeah, it's really interesting because, um... You know, like I, I think I probably wrote like probably four times in the the first half of that season that they had their most important game in club history in front of them, and I don't think that any time that I wrote that it was a lie or a stretch or whatever you want to call it because I, I, that was kind of so it, it was very much like a planet aligning type of thing where they're where they're jumping into this league that nobody really knows a whole lot about, and I think that that's always kind of been one of the big issues. Uh, with Detroit City FC going mainstream is a lack of context surrounding, you know, the league that they're in and things like that. Like, um, you know, here in, in American sports, there's there's a very kind of clear defined like, okay, NHL above the AHL, above the East Coast Hockey League or, you know, in any sport, you know, Major League Baseball, AAA, AA, whatever you want to call it. But I think when it came to soccer and the lower levels of soccer in Detroit, it's just the, the sport as a whole is not popular enough for fans to be able to, I think, distinguish um, maybe between a NISA team and a uh, USL championship team or an NPSL team. And I think at the end of the day, it comes down to, is this club in, in Major League Soccer or are they not? And uh, so I think from a mainstream perspective, kind of the way that everything lined up with them jumping into the USL championship, and I, I would still be surprised if most of the the publications and and news sites or around here could could really dictate the 
what it means to to be in USL championship. Um, but you 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 have this moment where it's they beat an MLS team, and that's something that I think everybody can understand, which is why I think it was so popular. Is because it was it was just right there, very simple, not hard to to um, you know comprehend. Okay, this team beat a major league soccer team. I can understand that. I can get behind that. And then you know, as the season has rolled on here, uh, I, I'm interested to know because, you know, Detroit City FC, I think when it comes to their their home games, their home atmosphere, it's completely unmatched, um, either in local sports or otherwise. Uh, but at the end of the day, this team didn't win a lot uh, for the for the second half of the season, particularly at home. Um, and I and I'm I'd be curious to know if that that hurt them a little bit um, because they were kind of selling out every game for a while. Now I understand that, that was when they were the only ticket in town. Tigers were in the dumpster, um, but you know we're we're kind of reaching the point of the season where every game means a whole lot. We've been here for a while, and yet um, you know they're they're not hitting the sellout crowds like they were say back in you know July or June or uh, whatever. Um, so I think that that is all kind of interesting to me, especially how it's kind of just trickled down over the season. But I also think that it's a byproduct of uh, how long the season is too. Like it, the, the regular season is going to be longer than the entire major league baseball season, including playoffs, which is a lot, is a lot uh, to, to, to pay attention to as a fan. And I know that's how soccer kind of works, especially, you know, overseas and stuff like that. But I think, you know, just keeping your attention on a team for 35 weeks plus playoffs is, is a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, that is a big ask. And that's a good way to put it in context of just how long the season is. And to be fair, the DCFC crowd still impressive was over 6,000 people. there. Yeah, on Saturday. 6, and that was probably over 6,500. And it was probably the best weather conditions for a soccer game the entire year. Like in yeah. the spring, it was like cold, bitter, Miserable. rainy messes. And then in the summer, it was like some scorchers on, on match day. So that was actually probably the best conditions. Still a great atmosphere, still a great crowd. But yeah, it wasn't that like sort of fever pitch, you know, shoulder to shoulder, like on both stands that it was for a handful of games there midseason where there was some 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 tight losses and some some draws and stuff like that. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's fall football season and all that has kicked in. But um, I guess the season is so long. To put it in context, like you said, it's longer than baseball, which is an incredible marathon. So to have a, a new season that before DCFC seasons were a dozen games long not too yeah. long ago. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think, you know, just with the uh, when you kind of weave your way through all these different sports seasons, you just you tend to get lost in the shuffle a little bit. I mean, like it, when I I remember when I covered the the first home game of the season, Michigan basketball was still playing in the NCAA tournament. Like that is that is unfathomable uh, to me. I said this to you the other night, but like it blows my mind still that uh, the team I'm covering right now is the exact same team uh that i was that was covering back in march of this year but at the same time we'll probably get into this a little bit it's really not the same team like the the team we saw uh on saturday night um you know a lot of the the pillars are there uh, a lot of the the starters from earlier in the season are there but when you bring in guys like yazid matthews guys like uh or guys like richard foster like those three all I thought in that game and in recent games have shown why they were brought in and it's because they are unique to anything that Detroit City FC 
uh, currently had in their tool bag, especially with the injuries to Devon Amumensa, um, you know, a couple other ones here and there. But, um, you know, it really kind of is interesting here how it feels like all of a sudden in the blink of an eye with a couple games left in the season, we're looking at a completely different version of this Detroit City FC team. Yeah, uh, it, seeing Cy Goddard out there in the first half definitely was a change because he has, you know, completely different style of play, different body shape than we've seen. And it's almost, it is also strange too that uh, it, obviously there was a lot of uh, logistical things and processing things that kept those players out. Like those players were supposed to be in the team quite a while ago, I imagine, mm. but through uh, the process of getting them cleared to join the Matthews and the Goddards and the Fosters like had to wait for quite some time. And now here they are kind of in the business end of the season right here, the couple games to go, they're trying to like mesh into like get fitness and mesh into the team right here at the end. What impact those uh, new players have in your eyes on uh, Saturday night? Well, I mean, it, I think it, a lot of it comes down to, to conversations that you and I have both uh, had with Trevor James post game, and, and conversations that I've had with Trevor James quite frequently throughout the year, uh, to be honest with you. Um, is it just, it just gives them more options. And, and I think, you know, when, when you think about Detroit city FC, I think the first thing that maybe comes to mind is that they're a well-coached team and uh, what can you do to better aid uh, a well-coached team other than give uh, the coach options to to kind of move or maneuver, uh, move those pieces around. And I mean, Richard Foster was was creating his butt off. Cy Goddard was creating his butt off. Yazid Matthews probably could have had two goals. He didn't think he was offsides uh, after that that long pass from Foster. But that was like that was a dime. He dropped a dime right to Yazid Matthews, and 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 obviously the goal got called back for offsides. But like. You just think to yourself, oh, well, what if what if he wasn't out there? You know, did they? And I walked away from from the other night's game, and you and I were talking about the uh, the expected goals data that actually came out yesterday. I think they had two expected goals, so it ended up being right about uh, what they what they ended up with. But um, you know, I thought in that first half, uh, even though they didn't score, it was one of the better halves I've seen them play, if not in the last four months, uh, possibly all season because they were, they were just, they were firing all cylinders. They were playing well defensively. Uh, I think they had six shots to, to nothing uh, heading into the locker room. Only one of those went on, on net. But um, you know, the point remains that, that this team looked like a completely different team that is capable of, of maybe doing a little bit more creatively uh, than they've shown uh, in the past. And like I said, that all, that all comes back to options because um, you know, when, when you can assess a team, and what they're doing and have the, the the tools in your toolbox to to counter that i think that's going to be huge come playoff time and, and it feels like for a long time uh with this team their 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 bench was so thin that they would go into a game with a starting nine and then you'd see francis and you'd see uh you know whoever else but like there just wasn't much room for creativity in, in regards to those substitutions and late games and now i think you know, uh, uh, how, how do you like being able to bring uh, Pato on in the in the 75th minute if he doesn't play or whatever it may be? I, I think, you know, they just have so many more options right now than they did a couple months ago. Yeah, to your point, uh, a well-coached team and then uh, those that long stretch in the summer where they, they weren't getting the results, lots of close defeats and a lot of draws as uh, – you said there's new tools now, but it was like, here we have these results, but he didn't have any other tools to the, like, 
then change it there for for quite a stretch. So I imagine that's a bit of a, a coaching pickle to uh, kind of like how do you adjust if if yeah. if, you, if you don't have uh, the pieces on the game specifically. We, we talked about it a lot, but not too many games like that. Uh, I asked coach, and I, I'm going to play the uh, the comments we got after the game prior to this interview on the episode, but um, it's pretty rare. And that probably speaks to the well-coached and just the, the overall attitude of kind of lose your lead in the blink of an eye. You know, DCFC went up. It seemed like that was like, you know, they finally got that goal that they'd been knocking on the door for the whole first 45 minutes, come out in the second half, score right away. And then not only, uh, you know, they lose the lead, but then, you know, they go down like two goals in two minutes and it's not too often in those patterns of play that you see the team that blew the lead then to to get it back. Um, what did you see that was a little unusual on Saturday night? Well, I think, you know, the the obvious breakdown, I, I think, was a little bit unusual. I thought Nate Steinwasher probably could have had one one of those uh, one of those goals back. I know he probably would like to have both of them back. But, you know, for a guy who, who we've seen kind of outperform the expected goals data all season long to all of a sudden – uh, give up two quick ones like that in a situation where he likely gets a hand on it and pushes it, uh, pushes it out of bounds or whatever it may be. I thought that was probably the the most surprising thing, and and you know that that's not necessarily a criticism of Nate. I thought both of those goals kind of uh, were created in in the blink of an eye, much like uh, they were scored and. And, and it was one of those things where all of a sudden, oh, crap, they have the ball in a, a really good position, a really dangerous uh, area of the field, and they they beat him. Um, so I, th- I think if, if I was surprised in anything, uh, it was how badly they let that that mental lapse beat them, uh, in addition to, to Steinwasher maybe not getting a hand on, on one of those shots. To be fair, though, both goals from Tulsa, those two and two minutes, were – excellently excellent uh, worked worked goals yeah. i mean the the lead pass for that uh was it uh suarez goal and then the the goal the the pass for the second goal was unreal and so was the finish and that was i was uh kind of i like to bounce around to different spots during the game and i was right there near that goal and i was actually like whoa you know when they scored the the go-ahead goal i was like wow that, that was that was a really well taken goal um Kind of moving beyond what we saw in the 2-2 draw on Saturday, just a few games to go. Um, what are the scenarios uh, for DCFC to earn that top four and that um, home playoff game? Um, man, that's going to be really tough. I, I, I really thought that, you know, if they if they had come away with that win uh, the other night, I think we're talking about this in a much different uh, light. But if you look at it right now, they're sixth place. Uh, two points behind fifth place. They they should have been tied for fifth place uh, had they not had that that mental lapse. It was so funny. I was sitting in the uh, in the box and I was like typing. I got a I was scrolling Twitter and I saw that Pittsburgh just posted that uh, they gave up a goal in the 90th minute and I was like, oh shoot! Like if they end up drawing uh, in this game and this result holds, like DCFC will will jump into. I, I they have like the live standings and they had already placed Detroit City FC in, in fifth place. So I was like kind of – I assume they have the tiebreaker there, to be quite honest with you off the top of my head. I'm not 100% sure what it is. Um, but if they win that game, you know, they, they're sitting there with 53 points, two points behind, uh, you know, that that third or fourth spot in the table. And it, and it all of a sudden it looks very, 
very possible. In addition to, you know, that game they went into on Wednesday against the New York Red Bulls, they come away with a draw. You would think that that was, was probably going to be a, a 2 nothing win, if you would ask me, uh, before that game. And I think that's kind of been an MO for this team uh, for a lot of this season is, you know, they, they play hard in, in these games against really good teams. And then from from time to time, they just they don't pick up the points that they need to. And that's why they're in sixth place in, instead of third or, or second place, because, you know, for for the second half of the season, mostly really ever since that that may uh, I think it's 15 or no, that that may 21 win over uh, over Atlanta United. I think that that might have been what it was. But um, but ever since that game, it, it has felt like they've just consistently been bleeding points that they could have had. And um. Now you're looking at a situation where you've got three games left to go in the season and four points to to make up uh, if you want to to draw even uh, with with Birmingham or Tampa Bay. And so I don't really like their chances, especially knowing that that they got to go play Louisville, that they got to play a couple good teams here down the stretch. And so, um, you know, I at the same time though, I wonder how much that even hurts them. You know, like because they've played so well on the road and they haven't played well uh, at home uh, this season. And I know you know, a hundred times out of a hundred, they're going to take that home playoff game. Um, you know, not just because you would think it's an advantage, but because you want to give that to your fans. Uh, and yet I don't think there is, or should be much panic over them. Maybe not because, you know, they, they have played so much better on the road than they have at home. This, this, this whole half of the season, which is funny because it's, it's a complete departure from, I think probably what you or I felt about this team, back in May where you're saying, okay, if they have any chance of, of going forward, they're going to have to get some home playoff games and bring teams into this atmosphere. But now I'm not so sure. Yeah. It's funny how, how that's working out. And uh, hopefully supporters uh, take a little bit of a, a, a brevity. Like what you said is being at home, not necessarily that bad because they have uh, been pretty, pretty darn successful on the road this year. Um Hopefully, with the, the the business end, one home game left. I think three overall. Um, we're definitely in the final throws of the regular season. And going back to more of your coverage of how it has impressed me, how you've done the game reports and the stories of the game, but you've also been able to to dig a little deeper and do some more uh, dives into some some personal stories and stuff like that. I know, uh, or one of my favorites was the the story on Trevor James uh, from back in the day when he was the coach to that amateur amateur team in California that was like Rod Stewart's team and stuff like that. Um, what have been some of your favorite stories? Granted, like there may be some more to come with it coming into playoffs and all that, but as of now, like regular season wise, what have been some of your favorite uh, aspects of the coverage and your favorite stories? Well, that one's definitely up there, uh, just because it was so weird and uh, like coincidental, um, and it was something that it's funny. Like somebody mentioned it to me offhandedly, uh, probably back in March, um, and then a couple months went by. Uh, and then I don't remember how I found out, but I realized that Rod Stewart was doing, uh, a concert at, uh, Pine Knob or DT or whatever the heck it's called now. And I was like, Oh crap. Like this would be the perfect time to, to get this out because I think somebody told me that they, that Trevor was trying to get Rod Stewart to wear a, uh, DCFC kit on stage is what it was. And I was like, Oh, that's right. And I like, I was like, can I come in Monday? Uh, and so, um, you know, I, I went down there and I talked to Trevor and it was such a fascinating interview. Um, you know, we, we just kind of put the put the recorder in the middle of us and we just talked for like an hour and 
and all these stories uh, started coming back to him. So so many things that couldn't fit in the story, but you're just like, this guy's this guy's like kind of a legend, you know, not not kind of a legend. Like I don't want to disrespect him like that, but like he's a very unassuming uh, legend. And um, you know, to to hear those stories was awesome. So that was definitely. Uh, up there, the one on Francis I did uh, not too long ago was was a really fun, cool story. As as somebody who, um, you know, things haven't necessarily gone his way uh, here in Detroit since he signed here last off season. And I remember talking to Stephen Carroll, and and he was just saying like, you know, they they brought him in for a tryout or something like that over over the off season, and he was he said he was you know telling Trevor like, yo, we got to sign this guy. Like he's amazing. He's going to be amazing for us. He was tearing it up in preseason, and then all of a sudden. Uh, he gets hurt, but if you've ever if ever seen or, or been around him, you'll you'll realize that um, you know he's just one of the most carefree, easygoing guys uh, around, and he's got an incredible backstory. Uh, you know, coming here from Ghana, moving here at the age of fourteen, we didn't know anybody here, going to high school in Connecticut, um, and and my favorite little nugget from that story was just you know how loyal. Uh, he was and and he said his dream school coming out of high school was UCLA uh but they didn't offer him and uh Michigan Michigan offered him and and he said okay I want to go there because uh they've never won a conference championship um and after his sophomore year they had three wins and UCLA called him and they were like hey you ready to you ready to come here now um and I actually missed a part of the story. I apologize. But on the day that, that Francis committed to Michigan, UCLA offered him, but he said he already made his commitment and he's a man of his word. And he said he wanted to win a big 10 championship. So he can't go back on that. So two years later, they went three games. UCLA calls him again. Uh, and he says, no, thank you. Um, I'm committed to winning a big 10 championship at Michigan. The very next season, they won their first big 10 championship in school history. Francis scores the game winning goal to seal it. Um, you know, just just to just to, and these stories are, are kind of uh, a theme um, over his uh, career is just like just holding firm and being loyal, and then and that end up paying back uh, for him. And then you know, just his stories from from back home uh, and and what he's been able to do there since since kind of coming over here as a pro um, is really fantastic. So I really enjoyed that one definitely. Um, but really all of them that I've had a, a chance to write has, has been incredible. I mean, um, you know, the, the, the market for these stories is so untapped right now that, you know, you're going to have amazing stories on, on every sports team. And I just feel really lucky that I'm the one who kind of, uh, gets to be in there and, and write them and, uh, definitely looking forward to, to doing some more here as the, the season rolls on and into playoffs as well. You've also done a couple of pieces on some, teams and uh, uh, moments outside of the DCFC realm. Um, Ken, what have you felt from those things that that you've reported outside of DCFC? Yeah, so it hasn't uh, in this, you're talking soccer Soccer specifically? Yeah, um, so outside of of DCFC, I think really the the only main thing that I've done uh, with soccer is um, I did a QA and a with uh, Alex Lubianski and Dan Milstein from uh, Gold Star, who are looking to uh, go up and running in, in NISA next season as, as kind of a developmental team uh, here in Southeast Michigan. I believe you said you just had them on their your, your show last week, so you probably uh, know all about that. Your listeners do as well. But, um, yeah, that, that was kind of the main thing that I did not too long ago, and it was a really interesting um, thing because I, I heard the team was announced and, you know, 
especially with the un, the lack of stability in Nisa, um, I was just kind of surprised, you know, that, that a team would kind of take this on and, and, you know, the, I, I guess the way that, that gold star kind of touted itself as a solution to this Nisa problem, I thought was, was really interesting. I'm not sure how I feel about it. 100%. Um, I think it could work. I think it, it's an interesting concept, but, um, you know, just with the the lack of stability in Nisa, given the fact that they're going to be playing kind of in the suburbs away, um, you know, from from the the heart of their identity, I think is is definitely going to be be something interesting, something to watch for, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited to see how they do though. Uh, can you tell our listeners where to find your work uh, moving forward? Uh, yeah, you can follow me uh, on Twitter at Noel Bianchi. Uh, or just find my work uh, at the DetroitNews.com. You can do a little search uh, bar in there, or if you go to the soccer page, I would imagine that at least half of the uh, half of the stories there are from me. So, well, Nolan, thank you so much for uh, uh, your work uh, throughout the year and um, your coverage of Detroit sports in general. And uh, thank you for spending so much time with us here on the Michigan Soccer Central podcast. Of course, Robert. Thanks for having me. It was a blast and uh, happy to come back on anytime. I love talking soccer. I'm a new soccer fan, so I I, I definitely uh, appreciate it and uh, have been enjoying the, the ride for sure. Hey, listeners, thank you for sticking around and listening to the entirety of the Michigan Soccer Central podcast. It is your weekly dip into the world's game being played right here in the Great Lakes State. Uh, thank you for uh, sharing their time and thoughts, as always, and all the guests that we've had on the program. Uh, we have just a handful of episodes up on YouTube, but we've got well over a year's worth of shows uh, with coaches, players, young and old uh, media members, and fans alike up on Spotify and other uh, podcast platforms. So, please check those out. And if you want to stay up to date with all the happenings in Michigan soccer, and one of the constants, one of my things I say, the one of the only constants in Michigan soccer is that it's always changing. If you want to stay up to date, follow at MI Soccer Central across all media platforms. Thank you to Jenny Hajnaki for editing the program as always. And thank you to the MSC core team. It is a group effort. Very excited uh, to see what comes. Uh, I think I'm going to try to get Dylan Borzak, the uh, Detroiter who just got a transfer to Memphis 901 on the program, especially if Detroit uh, pulls Memphis in the USL Championship playoffs. So until next time, everybody, please enjoy your soccer. (laughs) 